Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. We're in the week of October 22nd, 2023, and we are moving right along. So next week for October 29th, I hope you can join us as we honor Dia de los Muertos. We'll be building a community ofrenda, and this is our way of honoring uh, the lives of those that we love who have passed on. And we do this by bringing in their pictures, sometimes an object, something that you remember them by. And please do, please bring in uh, those photos next week so we can honor them along with everyone else um, in our community. And this is always a really special time um, as we do this community remembrance together. So with the pictures, whether it's their favorite candy or an object that always makes you think of them or something else that comes to mind, uh, please feel free to bring that in as well. And as we turn back to kind of the lectionary text for this week, I'm going to continue along with a little bit of what Ryan was uh, sharing with us last week around Jesus's acts of nonviolent resistance and how he resisted kind of the powers that be in his time, mostly through words and also through very specific actions that he took. So I'll read for us uh, the passage for this week that comes from Matthew 22. And the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth. You do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give, therefore, to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. So we have these two groups that were actually enemies, but aligned themselves in order to face and hopefully entrap Jesus. The Pharisees represent uh, the group kind of, of the religious pure. Uh, they insist upon absolute adherence to the law, right? And this is an entire code of rules and regulations in order to make sure they're living life accordingly. And the Pharisees worked with their Roman overlords, basically, as a means of necessity. Now, Herodians, however, had built their power based on Roman occupation. So they need to kind of do the religious thing, <laughs> put on the facade of religious practice, in order to be able to uphold their power. So Jesus is stuck, right? He's been given a binary. If he says yes, he risks offending and losing his followers and all those for whom Roman taxation is a daily reminder that they're dominated by a foreign power in their own land. If he says no, he risks being charged with insurrection and treason, right? So the Herodians are there as witnesses and could very quickly and easily um, kind of take him to court. And so 
all of these leaders have become frustrated with kind of the tides that he's turning and are trying to find all of these ways in which they can entrap him. The moral of the story is really about um, those trying to manipulate Jesus's words and actions to kind of pigeonhole his meaning. That doesn't sound familiar whatsoever, but in whatever form it takes, uh, the Pharisaic and Herodian conspiracy is about power, manipulation, and agendas, right? Something that will always cause more violence, that will destroy relationships, undermine faith, right? We see this today, our political, our economic systems, even uh, in the spaces that are supposed to be free from forms of power and manipulation. So there really is no outside of theology to economy, right? We understand that even within kind of modern Christianity, particularly an evangelical background, the relationship um, between God and creation and humanity has always been framed and accompanied by the exchange metaphors of economics, right? That there is some sort of exchange happening. Um, and again, this is something that we try to reframe to understand that there can be a relationship whether it's between people or between humanity and God, humanity and creation, that doesn't have to depend on kind of a level of power or payment in order to have this relationship, right? But again, this is what comes back to us when people try to make meaning of pay Caesar what belongs to Caesar and God what belongs to God. It's a very interesting question to ask us, like, what does this mean to us today, especially when our context is so different and yet we are holding kind of similar patterns of occupation and manipulation in our society today. So just a little bit more uh, background. A Daenerys in those days would have featured the head of Tiberius Caesar, um, who was the Caesar that we hear that was alive during Jesus's um, kind of ministry. And it would have had the inscription of Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. And this coin was a graven image, which was something um, in the Jewish tradition, which was prohibited in the Ten Commandments. And, um, you know, a little bit of blasphemy according to the religious purity. But again, it's also this tangible emblem for the temple tax as well. Um, so we had just seen Jesus uh, drive the money changers from the temple, right? He sends these exact kinds of coins all across the temple floor, um, being very specific in that this practice had no place in the holy temple. Um, but then at the same time, he's being caught in this uh, conversation around money, around the use of it when it holds such a um, kind of uh, secular Roman occupational image, and yet um, they're also asked to pay all of these things to the temple too. So he's kind of looking out 
upon all the people listening, because it wasn't just the leaders, of course, there were others of his followers nearby, he had to be very careful about how he responded. And it's very easy to kind of see his answer as a binary when he says, you know, give what is one to one side and what is another to another side, but that's actually not really what he means. He isn't the dividing the world up into financial versus spiritual, political versus religious. He is, I think, pointing out that not only we who all kind of bear the image of God um, belong to God, so whereas your financial piece, right, the taxation piece, is a small part of your life, there's so much more in which we kind of have to hold on for ourselves but then also to live out in a way that pushes back against the political powers that be. So what is God's per se is so much bigger than the power that money has over us, I think is what he's saying. Um, And this, of course, still encompasses how we pay attention to what we do financially, politically, etc., how we construct our lives, our relationships, our communities. And we also understand that doing these things, whether it's loving our neighbor, um, creation care, our political action, all of it is already political, right? All of our actions, especially today, hold some sort of weight when we imagine things on kind of a grand spectrum. How we use our money is also a way that we vote every single day, right? It's a way in which we are kind of part of the whole um, supply and demand chain because that's just how things are in the space right now. So the ways in which we push back, yes, we might be bound up to kind of handle the the things of life, right? Paying taxes, um, understanding how in which we are part of that system because that's always how it's been um, throughout our lives. And while we try to find ways to push back, we still understand we have to, you know, do those adulting things. Um, We can also find other ways to um, vote, right, with our our money, our time, um, that points towards a bigger picture and vision of justice. And to switch to a little story that hopefully is helpful to you um, and is just kind of how I've been thinking about it this week. I'm currently learning uh, Qigong, which is an ancient Chinese form of both meditation and martial art. Um, It's often what you might see if um, there are, you know, a group of, let's say, retired adults who are practicing this slow form in the park. Maybe you've seen them on a sunny day or two. Um, It's something that can be extremely beneficial on a number of levels for physical and emotional health. And throughout this class, we've been learning various forms. So there are a number of these ancient forms of Qigong, um, and including ones that most recently we've been learning that mirror animals and their nature. So we have uh, a form in which we practice where it kind of looks as if we are a bear kind of meandering through where we are just both strong, but then also fluid. 
There's a deer. It is a movement that is quiet, but alert. Um, a monkey, which is supposed to be mischievous and fun. A crane, you know, balanced and light. And then finally, the tiger. And our teacher used a couple of words to describe each animal's nature. And he said, uh, a line that has stuck with me this week, that a tiger's nature is fierce, but not cruel. He told us that even when a tiger eats, he's simply doing what it needs to do by nature. But often, when they are depicted doing something cruel, it is usually because of human involvement and force. He said that this form is about standing up for what you believe in fiercely, but not having to be cruel about it, right? Not crossing that line into cruelty. And the reason why this has stuck with me is because I think um, this points to a level of uh, dynamic that is involved with nonviolent resistance, right? That we can fiercely stand by what we believe in to say, hey, you know, this is this is what I stand for. I'm not going to back down. I am going to understand that there are going to be times in which it is really hard um, that you will face pushback, um, but simultaneously not having to depend on cruelty to get your message across. I think that we can still lead with and be rooted in a space of love in order to push towards reconciliation. And again, you know, in Jesus's words, I think we see this and being used incredibly um, specifically. It mirrors our language of both and, right? Where he's saying, give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. And we'll talk more on Sunday about kind of how you all interpret that line, especially. But in the midst of conflict, in the midst of all of these things, I hope we continue to look for both ands. And I'm going to share um, a poem by Padre Gotuama around the pedagogy of conflict. And he says um, some things in an interview he's talking about reconciliation, he's talking about um, this book of poetry that he wrote, and he says this, reconciling does not mean to arrive at consensus. Reconciling does not mean that we all believe in the same thing about who's to blame for the circumstances that we're in. Reconciling is some kind of practice in person and in policy to pay attention to the society that's pulling itself apart, and that is painful. And the imperative has been to be in deep relationship with people who represent the thing that you consider to be the opposite of your point of view. And that is costly. It's painful. It might cause you to be called a traitor by some of your own. And you'll find yourself in all kinds of unexpected circumstances where you find empathy and sympathy for people from different points of view than you. I think this is what we're trying to come back to. And we do our best together as a community, as individuals. And again, our hope is that in kind of the sea and the influx of inputs, on whether it comes from social media or um, other people in your community, whoever it might be, 
um, that you're able to sit and create space for yourself, whether it is to actively kind of grieve what's going on in our society today, um, to try and find a way to settle, um, but then also a way to step into whatever you feel like your calling is in this moment in time. And we'll continue to explore that together, but I hope, um, as always, that something is helpful in what we share here, and I look forward to more conversation on Sunday. So as always, as we approach this week, may we love God, embrace beauty, and live life to the fullest.